You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is a break from the normal Britflix.com podcast service, what I'm grandly calling the Future of Film series, where I talk to a number of professionals across the film industry about the impact of COVID and perhaps look into our crystal balls and see what that might mean for the future of film, the future of cinema, and in particular, what it means for indie filmmakers. Without further ado, on with the show. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Damien Spanley. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks, Stuart. Recently, as in during the pandemic, I've interviewed 20 people who are taking part in Inside Pictures programme, and we talked a lot about what does the pandemic mean for the film industry and what does a post-COVID world mean for the film industry. And understandably... Everyone had a lot of guesses and opinions, but nobody had the answer because there was 20 different answers. There was 20 different impacts. And this is people who work in production, who work in distribution, who work in exhibition, who work in sales, people who work in stop motion animation. You know, there was no real full understanding of what this might all mean. So with that in mind, I reached out to people to see if I could get some opinions on maybe how they see what's what's happened what's happening and what might happen in the future um and uh and that is why i've invited damien on damien before we get into it um do you want to just briefly say what what your current role is so people can get a picture of where you're coming from sure i work for curzon i'm the director of program and distribution sales so i run a number of teams across our cinema uh business of on-demand business, Curzon Home Cinema, and also distribution, mainly sales, theatrical mm. releasing, and uh, home entertainment. Brilliant. Now, and I think I think what we were saying before we started is, with that in mind, what you'll probably cover more so is about the idea of where distribution, revenue streams, and where cinema, cine, theatrical fits in and amongst all that, 
in in particular more than a, a very like broad view of how we're going to make money from film it's just looking at that particular portion of it yeah yeah absolutely i mean we're not involved yet in production we do have a film fund that we're setting up currently but so really for us it's when we pick up the film in this theatrical space uh our business in the home with our on-demand platform and then as a distributor acquiring content to bring to the uk and release through our platforms and through other cinemas and other third-party home entertainment sales channels Brilliant. And one of the reasons that prompted me to approach you was that I think it was three of the people interviewed on Inside Pictures cited Curzon as a model for the future in terms of how we might let people see movies. So that's quite exciting, isn't it? Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's great to hear. Yeah, we're a vertically integrated film company. There's not many... Well, actually, if we'd have had this conversation 10 years... Uh, if, we'd, if we'd have had this conversation 10 months ago, we would have been the only cinema that was involved in VOD in the UK, but with the pandemic, more and more are joining us. Yeah. Well, let's, let's look at that start there then. So, because I think, I think for the layperson, the notion of the window isn't something part of the common conversation, but if you pick up any trade magazine and a lot of the conversations I had with these inside pictures, people was about the precious window. Um, so what would have been the traditional release window for a film pre-COVID or even pre-10 months ago when you when you were the, the only one, the only vertically integrated company? And what it, what was or is, and why is it so sacrosanct to cinema in terms of release, release window? Yeah, so the traditional model, which is the model that still exists or certainly prior to the pandemic existed between the sort of major distributors, the studios and the major cinema companies and multiplexes is a 16-week is a exclusive window. And a, a window is is basically a period of exploitation around a particular uh, right or uh, of a film. Um, and they normally line up in a certain way. So theatrical comes first. And the, the big talking point at the moment is that the multiplexes insist on a 16-week w- exclusive window for theatrical. So a distributor is not able to exploit a film in the home or in home entertainment or TV or anywhere else. It has to be just available in cinemas for 16 weeks. That would be the first window. Then you would normally, in the traditional model, you'd have five to six months of home entertainment after the 16 weeks. And this model, just to be clear, it's a studio model. They all have slot deals with Sky. So Sky pay a premium to access their content in that sort of like, well, if I refer to it during this podcast as as pay or pay one, because yeah. it's the first of the pay windows, that normally comes after home entertainment. Then you have, you know, 15, 18 months on Sky. And then you have free TV, you know, the terrestrial channels, second pay library and so on. And that order of exploitation has been in place for for many years and is generally has been accepted by the studios. Um, I mean, for the reason being that, I mean, the studios may complain from time to time that the theatrical window is shorter in other con- countries and in other territories, they may earn a higher percentage of cinema ticket sales, but they largely accept the model because nothing drives ancillary sales like being in cinemas. And uh, although theatrical is expensive, you know, P&As, uh, film prints and advertising costs can run into the millions for the bigger movies. Mm. And there's a genuine risk of not earning that money back in the theatrical window. It does drive value everywhere else. So the pay one deals, TV deals, they're often dependent on a number of cinemas. So those deals themselves are ensuring that films are 
boost uh, have that boosted profile in 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 the theatrical space pre the they like i said before you know sky pay a premium to bring fence that studio content for them mm. and the same way a broadcaster might do for premier league rights for instance yeah and then fees are often connected to the box office so in the studio world um that's generally you know you release a film in this way because you can access that money down the line it's actually not so much about theatrical revenue because uh sometimes films don't make their money back in theatrical but it will the bigger splash you can make in theatrical obviously the more money you can make down the line this includes uh, digital and dvd and the studios actually have clever formulas that they use to forecast what they'll earn on home entertainment from theatrical box office it's why it might feel as a consumer of films the the certainly the big cinema chains are full of 150 plus million pound dollar movies because they're the only films that can justify as a percent of their production costs the fixed cost of maybe 60 million pound in market in pna that you might have to spend to get it in front of people's eyeballs in virtual to get them in the cinema to watch a film absolutely and if you're not spending those kind of money then you're not creating the revenues that you need to justify the budgets and to, to justify your investments so it's a it's a very uh, expensive business and but up until recently it was work it was working for the studios i was going to say and then the pandemic came along and the cinemas were forced to close which didn't mean that films stopped getting made or films had stopped being completed because i suppose the big the big the big the big headline is when will um the bond the next bond film get released i suppose is the one that, that most people will be familiar with in terms of it dragging its feet for a release. But there's a, there's an example of a film that would have cost hundreds of millions to make. It was reliant on this this window of 16 weeks to then make a splash, cause a stir, and all the other ancillary markets that that popularity of the Bond IP represents would, would see the money get made across the piece. Absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely correct. Yeah, I mean, there, there's been... I mean, I've seen it on Twitter... Um, people calling for the film to be released digitally. And of course, you know, we could argue that there's definitely value in that, but there's been a decision that's been made with that particular film that it, mm. it definitely works for that traditional model, that the 16-week window is what's required, and that's why that's been pushed back till October. Mm. Yes, because because the, the Canary in the Cave was Christopher Nolan's film, Tenet, and uh, playing opposite to that Canary in the Cave was, I guess, the live-action version of Mulan, which went on a premium pay model via only Disney's platform. So there was two big films that were meant to hit the cinemas and cause a stir, couldn't because of the pandemic, and both went two different routes, and we found out some answers as to whether there was a thirst or a demand for, A, going to the cinemas during a pandemic, which I think it was found it wasn't so great, or not as great as they'd hoped, because even if they had a full house, social distancing meant... Something like is it something like thirty percent is of capacity even would be full. I think in a lot of places that's kind of as a rough figure. It doesn't matter the precision of it. Yeah, it depended. I mean, we we were able to get up to sixty percent in some of our cinemas. We had a, a dynamic box office system that placed people together, and so. But yes, obviously it was a it was a problem. And but to be honest, I think that just general caution amongst audiences. Yeah, I was, was going to say bigger, even I would say uh, as I was saying challenge. even yeah. even though it was even if you could get them all in. They weren't all keen to get in because they were told being inside was the was the highest risk part of of the COVID, as it were. Um, so we've so people will they've been stories in the news. Then they've they've existed outside of just the trade press and stuff. Um, so 
with with that being sacrosanct, why was it? Why was Curzon then able to shift its model to this more vertical thing? Which is it? It was say it was saying to its its customers, "You want to watch a film on Friday? You've got more ways than coming to the cinema to watch it on the day it's released." That's essentially the model you've broken, isn't it? In terms of in terms of the offer. That's right. Yeah. So ten. That's that's correct. Yes. Yeah. So ten years ago, we launched. Uh, just over 10 years ago, we launched Curzon Home Cinema. And mm. the idea was to give customers, film lovers, the choice to watch a film in the home or in the cinemas. And we've been working very hard to try and sort of convince the rest of the industry that it's a model that works. And it's a, it's obviously, it's a, it's a model that's been accelerated quite considerably during COVID. But mm. we have our, we are, you know, we acquire anywhere between 20 and 30 films a year that we bring to the UK. Uh, we're a world cinema, primarily known for as a world cinema distributor. And our cinemas, uh, we have 13 venues uh, around L London and, and nationwide, which actually have a broad, quite a broad range of programming. Some of our regional sites are, have played quality mainstream. Some of our London sites are a little bit more art house. And we have this always on message for Curzon. We feel that audiences should have the choice. Not all film lovers have the time to be able to, to go to a cinema at specific moments, watch a film. They may not have a local cinema that plays the kind of films that they're interested in. And in fact, over half of our streams are actually outside of London, which is a different skew to, to the theatrical market. That's very interesting. And, uh, you know, we, and we feel that window windowing restrictions aside, that on demand on the same day as cinemas doesn't cannibalize theatrical. It can it can actually en enhance theatrical. And I think that's what's quite important about looking at student studio models and then looking at independent models, because mm. I, mean, I, I often use the phrase that, you know, this is an industry of have slots and or have nots. And <laughs> if you have sky slots, then fantastic. You know, that, you know, your business uh, is elevated to that level where you're, you're working to earn those revenues and you're guaranteed those revenues and you can, backstop your investments in a film uh underwrite those costs towards money that you know you'll receive from a broadcaster hmm. unfortunately for the rest of us and sort of like the, the independent model of distribution we don't have that luxury and instead we're actually uh, fighting for uh, fewer opportunities in that space and earning smaller fees so with digital day and date you're able to save on release costs and you're able to maximize the marketing opportunity by bringing your home ends and your theatrical campaigns together. And that's incredibly important when DVD revenues have been dropping 20% year on year for yeah. around 20% year on year for the last decade or so. When broadcasters and schedulers are, you know, they have TV box sets, there's that been that explosion that's also competing in the, those areas. For our, uh, against our films so for us we wanted to create revenue streams that w that we were in control of and for the most part uh, you know we've been able to release our films in cinemas as well mainly in cinemas that are very confident in the loyalty and community of their audiences and you know most of which agree that there isn't a cannibalization and actually what they're getting is some benefit from the additional marketing that we can give a film when we're combining windows yeah, because the, the the big revelation to me, and again, I think I was just preconditioned to to the traditional model and just didn't see past it. But then talking to, like I say, talking to a couple of the Inside Pictures people, one of the huge benefits of day and date is the notion that 
you as a as the play as as if if it's Curzon that are doing it on demand and on the cinemas, but also you as the producer of the film, it's a chance for more people to see your film at the point when you're maximising your ability to create interest in the film. So if we think of word of mouth being a lot of social media activity, if there are potentially more people engaged with your film at the point when you're pushing the most reviews, you know, the the you know, if you've got your Mark Commode review for a decent world cinema film, and at the same time people from all over Britain can watch it as well as those who've got access to Shaftesbury Avenue, then suddenly you've got the potential, if it's if it's a good one, for people to then reflect back and then people go, oh, that's on, that's on at my cinema, I'll go and see it. And suddenly you've got people who who are hearing about a film sort of secondary to the initial wave of marketing. So it, I'd not thought about it that way before and it struck me as being, which obviously when you're talking about a $300 million movie with hoping to sell lunchboxes, that's, a, that's not the proposition you're worried about. But if all you're selling is a film, then you want to create as much interest as you can and that's where that's the, that's kind of the big positive that I, as I understand day and date. Does that sound right to you? It does sound right because we're, we're, we're working to limited budgets. And um, and so, to you know, if you're you're splitting your budgets between your theatrical release mm. and then if you're working with the 16-week window model, you're then reheating that film with another budget 16 weeks down the line. So uh, what you inevitably get is you get the budgets being split, split and you're getting a sort of, uh, you know, the interest in that film being sort of fragmented. So by releasing day and date and you're releasing in the cinemas, you can really, you can really go for it. And I, I do feel that that does create more noise quite, because that's the, one of the other ch- challenges about theatrical distribution is that the number of films on release each week uh, since digital has doubled. And on average, uh, I think the, the, the last year that I looked this up, it was over 18 films a, a, a week being released in cinemas. So that means 18 films. I mean, they're not, they may, some of them may be what we call broken theatricals. So they're just trying to create a little bit of profile for something else, home mm. entertainment, perhaps. Or um, uh, some of them might be specialist releases that um, that aren't broadly available to cinemas, perhaps, but it's still a ridiculous and frightening number of films. And all of those films are competing for everything that's required to make a film visible. Mm. They're, you know, reviews on a friday they're competing for you know the, the national conversation about film and mm. uh, media space and as a as a consequence uh, you know that's the reason why the temp poles still deliver and because they are they just saturate all those spaces and why it's so much more difficult if you're releasing a, a smaller movie or you have maybe more of a niche audience to cater for yeah it's the um what's the name of the fall album Fifty Thousand fall fans can't be wrong it's that idea that if you can always reach them, you're fine, aren't you, in a way? Yeah. As ridiculous as that is in, the, in a cinema chat, to reference Marky Smith. But, yeah, it always struck me as uh, as if you know who you're trying to reach, it's better than trying to reach everybody, in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, digital can really help you with that because when you're playing in a cinema, obviously the cinemas that we work with have fantastic local connections and they, they're very much in touch with their mm. local audiences. And But that's 
generally who they're speaking to. With uh, on demand, you're actually you're speaking to a much broader diaspora, and you're you know you're, you're not restricted by those locations, locations and communities. Yeah. And so instead, what you're doing, and you're able to do this very well digitally because you're able to link through to platforms that are playing hmm. your movie online, is that you're able to focus through social media, Facebook, and so on, actual you know actual niche audiences, people through their particular interests or what they're where they are online and what they're, what they're looking at. So it's a much more focused approach, much more focused approach to marketing than just putting an ad in the newspaper and hoping people see it. It's, it's, it's fascinating that you say that as, as recent as 10 months ago, something that you've done for over 10 years, you would have been one of, one of, one of, one of two or three, one or one in the UK offering this. And yet the pandemic has, has brought about as forced change because obviously when you can't open your cinemas then you have to di- you have to diversify your offering in terms of how people can see a film if you want to exist as a business um obviously we saw we saw film festivals do it in a very simple way because they had a program and they made that program available online and that was you sort of were accessing your film festivals by from a distance from a distance i mean i i was able to see fright fest in or in october but i never left this office that i'm talking to you from right now very surreal way of going to a film festival, but nevertheless, it, it made sure that they could still go on and have the have the uh, presence of being a film festival, and they weren't alone. Um, so, what what do you think was was the resistance that it took a pandemic to make people consider it an option? Well, I think there's a different way. Look, I think in terms of resistance, um, the, the the resistance is that the major cinema chains are looking to protect their business, mm. and you know they're concerned that early access in the home or day and date would diminish the their power to draw audiences to their venues. Obviously that went away overnight in COVID and uh, no, with no cinemas, distributors, um, studios and independents alike had no choice. I mean, they had to adapt, you know, the same way restaurants do delivery. Um, you know, that my local pub is a gross, grocery uh, shop right now. Mm. They need, you know, distributors are like any business. They need, they need cash flow. They have overheads, responsibility to staff and stakeholders. So they, so digital, early digital access became a necessity, mm. and uh, it was it was still controversial even when the cinemas were were closed. I mean, the, the trades reported quite widely that when Universal announced that uh, that they were going straight to digital with Trolls World Tour at a time when cinemas couldn't actually, you know, couldn't physically play, that it was still met with oh, as a very, you know, very controversial bit of scandal. Yeah, no, there was absolute consternation. I mean, the the, the the example I remember from when Mulan was announced was a viral video of a French exhibitor smashing up the marketing stand in his in his foyer. <laughs> you know, that's right, I remember that. You know, it's like you so clearly nobody was ready for this. In nobody was ex- sorry, not ready for it, that's the wrong word. Nobody was expecting such a severe left turn in terms of how films were delivered to audiences. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh and um and and the I think it was a it was a difficult moment. I mean, obviously we are both we're we are an exhibitor and a distributor, so um but we didn't really feel like we were in the middle because we were able to take our films online and we had five films that were dated in the theatrical calendar when we had to close in, mm. at the end of march and we were very lucky in that we were able to persuade the stakeholders of those films the producers sales agents to allow us to continue and release on curzon 
home cinema. And actually, we were also able to approach other distributors, like-minded distributors, and offer them a platform to release their films despite the cinemas being closed. And Curzon Home Cinema, just to be clear, is not an ordinary VOD platform. It's very different from Amazon, iTunes, and so on, because it's curated and it is an online cinema. That That is very much what we're trying to do with Curzon Home Cinema. And what happened in March, April, May, which was very exciting, was that the cinemas were closed, but audiences were still engaging online. And in a sense, on demand for a, a few months became the new theatrical. Mm. So the trade magazines were writing about trend, trends in uh, on demand, and the critics were re- reviewing films that were never were not going to see cinemas, or certainly not for some time, and they were reviewing them on a Friday. And that was quite exciting, and it, it kept the national conversation around theatrical going, even though the cinemas were closed. And in, with that in mind then, do... do with that with that positive thought in mind and this is where maybe we're looking into crystal balls now um how does the theatrical experience remain sacrosanct when you're blatantly offering competition to its status as as a sacrosanct place to watch films i mean i mean as a film fan myself I am chomping at the bit to sit in a dark room with strangers but i don't think i'm necessarily representative <laughs> of all cinema going audiences but 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 i think you know i guess i guess the death of cinema has been has been a circular conversation that keeps coming back around on itself and there's always something that tells you it's the end of it i think going you know 50s the 1950s introduction of television was was enough to announce the death of it but yet here we are in 2021 discussing the next death of it so what's going to keep it sacrosanct in your mind as an experience as a part as an as an part of an experience of watching films well, I think there's two parts to this. I think one is uh, is about the business of film and about mm. distribution and and what brings a film from its production to being face to face with a consumer with a, with its audience. Right. And the problem that we have, I believe, uh, is that the revenues that normally were buoyant and would support theatrical have been challenged in a variety of different ways. As we've already mentioned, DVD and fewer opportunities for independents to sell their films to TV or for, to S-Ford. I mean, the opportunities have come and go and Netflix and Amazon you know, have supported um, distributors in that area for, for many years. But obviously the originals, uh, concept of the originals coming in means that there are fewer, fewer opportunities. And the problem that we may face is that if the cinemas are unable to uh, be flexible about the windows and if the industry doesn't adapt, then distributors will no longer be viable businesses and therefore choice and quality will ebb away. And it's very important for cinemas and for audiences that cinemas can be viable and continue to thrive and be able to market the, the, their films and be able to invest in films so they can be produced and so on. Mm. And so I think that's very, very important. And the other side of it for me and why I still feel very uh, optimistic about cinemas and the future of cinemas um, is that uh, is that you, know, you still can't beat that experience, can you? You can't no. beat the experience of sitting in a cinema with a group of people uh, in the dark watching a film together. And it's very important 
um, for us at Curzon, I mean, the reason why we still built, we built an on-demand platform, even though we had cinemas, um, which was an, you know, very much the opposite sort of view of, uh, of the sort of studio multiplex model mm. was because we felt that, uh, that, that they could uh, inform and that those two areas could inform and support each other. And I remember reading that there was uh, a, I think it was uh, the US theatre owners last year, this is actually before COVID, they published a survey that that established that 35% of streamers are, you know, much more uh, visit a movie theatre mm. nine times or more in a year. And that 62% of streamers who are, are, are familiar with cinema release dates are more likely to stream it if they if they know about its theatrical release. There's still a there's still a world in which cinemas have a role to play mm. uh, in supporting great films get, going into the cinema. I mean, that, the best cinemas that I know, for instance, are able to harbor a sense of community and curation within their local area. And they've been able to adapt. And that's the thing, that's what cinemas will have to do. They will have to adapt. They'll have to become more experiential. And um, we have great technical presentation. There's the comfort and hospitality side. You know, going to the cinema will still remain a night out for a different experience from watching a film in the home. New fresh revenue streams that, c- that cinemas need to continue to develop, food and beverage, um, for instance, uh, events. I mean, there's event cinema, which we haven't touched upon, which again, is very different from um, viewing opera or ballet in the home, all sorts of different ways that a cinema can create a point of difference and diversify away from the digital experience in the home. And, uh, and that's why I think that cinemas will continue to have a role to play. It's interesting. Certainly that that's that observation about, about the people that watch a lot of streaming are the ones who go to the cinema the most. I think you could go and the people that bought DVDs and Blu-rays were the people that went to the cinema the most. And the people that bought VHS were the ones who went to the cinema most. It's almost like film fans like films, funny enough, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? <laughs> and uh, no, and you and you're right. Part of the part of the offering. I mean, I, I uh, what, what there was somebody explained it to me beautifully. Is they sort of said, you know, the cinema asked can't just be a place that you throughput someone to go watch a film and then send them home. You know, that's what happens when you put something on a stream. You know, you put it on, it, you watch it, and then you switch over or you go to bed or you carry on with your work or whatever you were doing. But to go to the cinema is a night out or a day out or, a you know, an early morning treat. So if you can have a director doing a Q&A, whether it, I mean, certainly in this day and age, certainly what's, what COVID's exposed is people are quite satisfied with a Zoom call from America and a face of a director talking about their movie. You don't have to be in the room, but... It yeah. still adds to the experience of being there. That's true. Yeah, we've we I mean we've been doing we I mean we tried to take as much of our cinema activity online as we could during COVID. So mm. we do now have some live event cinema on the platform, for wow. instance. Yeah. And we hosted the Edinburgh International Film Festival, which was a and the Human Rights Watch Festival, uh, which was great. Um, but also live Q and A's. Uh, we have a new platform which is launching in in uh, in march where all of this will be integrated in, into one place mm. however despite that using uh outside technology we've been we've had uh, over 70 live q a's and last in the last 10 months which has been a great way to uh i mean we've been able to access you know people in their la homes and have them talk about their movies and mm. obviously we've been able to put that out 
And you will get this, I think, a hybrid approach where you have live events in the cinemas that are being beamed into our platform and also into other cinemas and people can access and be part of that conversation no matter where they are. Hmm. No, no, for for sure. It's the... It's 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 been the kind of it's it's the weird positive out of out of COVID is what people are willing to accept, and I don't mean that they'll be done up, they'll be put off by it, but much in the same way it was considered sacrosanct of a sixteen week window for a release, it was also considered sacrosanct that a Q and A meant you were physically in the room with someone, and they were physically in the room with you, and that that somebody had a microphone and they passed it around a room. And that was how you did a Q&A. And, that, and if you couldn't do that, then you were cheating somebody out of a Q&A. Whereas very quickly, as we've adapted with, with the idea of online presentations, and certainly we've all, we've all got experts at, at Zoom in the last 12 months or so, we've discovered that, that, that that's actually quite satisfying. I mean, I was, I was um, helping out on a, on a very independent release where they did a, um, an audience viewing of a documentary called We Are The Geordies. And... You know, they they did a one Friday night screening. You know, from themselves. So you know, almost like self distribution model. People paid to watch it. People took part, and part of the offering was they had famous Newcastle United footballers on a on the Zoom call afterwards. Now, that's great. That's not a massive addition in terms of admin logistics, but it was a huge offering in terms of what it would have been like just to watch the film. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think I think the, the, you know, there's this sort of democratization of those kind of events and the fact that they're much more broadly available in the home is, is can only be a great thing. I mean, some people in the industry have despaired about how popular foreign language TV series have become hmm. uh, and streaming platforms and on TV. But I see a positive there because what we're doing is educating people into reading subtitles. So young people are watching uh, and hopefully that, you know, hopefully those are the audiences for, that will come to the Curzon in the future. Hmm. And during, uh, obviously, the surge is fairly uh, obvious uh, during COVID of people um, streaming content for the you know for the first time. I saw one study, I think it was last August, that said that adults were spending forty percent of their waking hours watching content, uh, so six and a half hours a day, and that twelve million people had signed up for streaming platforms that previously they'd never used. Mm. So that for me is a great way to to educate. Uh, audiences into the power of storytelling, the power of you know of, mm. of cinema, and um, and so hopefully you will see a, a, a benefit and a more sort of seen literate public going forward. So as a, result, as a result, just to go back over something you said just before, so you've you're you're you're, you're launching a, a new version of your Curzon Player. Is that what you're saying? That, that's going to have all the interactivity in it. Yes, that's right. We're building a new platform mm. and the platform will integrate our cinema business and our on-demand platform in, in a single place with a new membership across both areas. Wow. And there'll be just one login, one login. And it'll also have lots of fantastic new functionality that will allow us to do live events and um, and lots of sort of hybrid stuff, collections, or everything else that we're, we're doing at the moment, but in a much more sophisticated way. And 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 just looking at what's happened over the last twelve months, and maybe what maybe things that you see that are, that are positive in the future. What's been one of your sort of favourite innovations you've seen in terms of how people have got got engaged with audiences with in terms of film? I, I think the answer to that is actually something that we weren't able to do, but something that I certainly would love to do in the near future. And one of our well, two of our venues we've actually had during COVID, we've used the time to upgrade their tech spec 
so that they are able to record and broadcast live events, but also integrate with uh, video technology that we're all using day to day at work. So we had this. I, I won't. I won't give away what the event was going to be. Um, but we had this. We had this plan to have. Uh, I mean, we're going to build. We we call our online Q and A series the living room Q and As. So what, what we're intending to do when we open the cinemas is actually build a living room set on the stage uh, of one of our cinemas, probably Curzon Mayfair. Yeah. And um, host Q and As and chats live in the cinema hopefully with a sold out you know 300 people but also use the big screen and the new technology we've installed in those cinemas to pull in cast and crew from wherever they may be in their own individual living rooms whether they're in los angeles or berlin or you know or just down the or down the road in um should i say Leighton? yeah and uh and uh and then have a sort of sort of multimedia experience where you're where the audience are asking questions, but also people are watching on Curzon Home Cinema in the home, in locations where they can't or actually get to a, a cinema, but also in our cinemas as well, um, which I think is a really exciting idea. No, there's yeah. another idea of doing it, doing it around filmmakers where uh, the audience can actually choose which of the films from that filmmaker they would like to see, um, so they can actually create the, their evening themselves, and then they can log in and they can watch the Q and A about that filmmakers uh, life and work afterwards that sounds like a brilliant idea thank you for sharing it with us is there um is there anything that you've not been able to sort of cover from the conversation about what you thought you might say before we started it yeah i just wanted to talk a little bit about the subscription approach as, and the SVOD platforms that the studios are setting up and we obviously know about uh disney plus and the streamers as well of course with apple TV, and I think it's. I, I think there's a, an interesting conversation around what that represents for the future. Um, with, uh, and I think that there's a a concern, um, or I think perhaps an opportunity, both for cinemas and for transactional platforms, that that particular area becomes extremely fragmented and and confusing. I mean, I I was only talking the other day to somebody who was complaining about being a football supporter right now and how. You used to have need one subscription to be able to watch the Premiership, and now you need three or four. Mm. And it's uh, in order to actually cover the number of great titles and the great content that's out there. It's very soon, if if it hasn't already, become quite impractical and expensive for the consumer. And that's where perhaps there's an opportunity for uh, transactional and obviously even at premium level, as we've seen with with releases like Trolls and um military wives and 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 certain and and actually the way we release films at curzon yeah well that that's a a chance for it to be a little bit clearer and to give audiences well to keep so they can stay in control of their of their own choices they have that freedom of choice yeah i mean i've only recently discovered the app just watch because i was suffering from this exact problem and i'm someone that subscribes to shudder prime and Netflix and pays for stuff like what you do on a one-off thing and it pays for stuff on BFI as a one-off thing. But, but if you, but if you don't know where you're looking to start with, or if you go to the main ones, you go to, and you can't find it. That's five places I've just named that I've looked for a film that I just want to watch. 
and I can't find it. And yeah. it, you, you'd think, and there isn't an e that, and like Just Watch is a handy app, but it's not perfect, I've discovered. Yeah, because what, what it, I mean, if you find something on Just Watch, it's on a plat subscription platform you don't normally subscribe to, then it's, it can be quite a testing experience to try and navigate all the different platforms and obviously to cover the cost because all of a sudden you realize you're spending you know 40 50 60 pounds upwards mm. in order to cover things um subscription I, that's why i personally prefer the transactional model because you can go in you can buy the film that you want and then you can move on and uh it will be a, an, an interesting because there doesn't seem to be any signs of collaboration or aggregation um or bundling of the, any of these subscription offers and i know there's a couple of platforms that are starting to offer that service but actually they don't have deals with the content owners themselves what they're really doing is produce is creating sort of guides and curation which is also valuable and, uh, and that's actually very important trademark of curzon we want people to come to the platform because we curate what's there mm. so you're you're developing and earning the trust of your customers so that they can you know they 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 you know, they'll guide, they know if they they like your choices that they'll come back yeah. And I think that's what's becoming very, very quickly becoming very confusing in this new subscription world. No, without a doubt. I think, and and also the fluidity of the subscription world is that you thought you had access to a film, you plan to watch a film, six months pass, which is not that hysterical if it's not a priority, then you get round to watching a film and it's gone. Which yeah for the for the you know for the old school I mean you can't see it from that where I'm where I am but if I there's you know them 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 DVDs don't ever don't ever um, disappear because I haven't watched them for six months yeah and I think that true. and I, you know and I think I think it means so I'm a more I'm I'm more I would I would class myself and obviously would class yourself. We're more resilient in terms of not being put off and determined might be determined if we really want to watch a film, we'll we'll find a way of watching it. But what you might what what I think and I saw talks about this at Cannes, at the online can back in June, and they were saying that essentially you're you're not treating the customer like a customer by doing it, by making it so hard for them to find a film they want to watch. Yeah, that's true. And obviously concerns over piracy as well. Yeah. Well, you're basically allowed. You're allowed. You're you're almost giving implicit permission, aren't you, by saying, "Well, if I can't get it from all these things I pay for," which is, I mean, is a, it's a perverse logic because obviously, if I bought five cars, I wouldn't go. Well, I've owned four cars, so I can rob one now. But for some reason, with entertainment, <laughs> we we seem to think that if we buy enough of it, we've we've paid into the pot, um, which is a very which obviously that's a a problem of that's been created by the internet, not the pandemic. I think the internet. Has, has messed with a lot of um, financial models, but yes, no, you're right. I think I think the 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 film the the diaspora of what you where you can get film from has become the the same problem that your friend described with watching football, which is I can't pay for everything, but I have to if I want to watch all my team's games on the on the telly, and the pandemic has meant they're only and on the telly. I, and I think, and I think the conversation about Windows and. You know what's what happens next with rumours. Robbie Collin wrote about it in the Telegraph a couple of weeks ago. There's rumours that there's a conversation between the studios and the multiplexes about reducing the window, albeit perhaps temporarily. And it will be interesting to see what happens because I think that does feed in very clearly to the SVOD conversation because at right now. With because the studios we discussed we discussed uh, some of the challenges around the theatrical market 
earlier on, but the studios aren't completely immune to this. Um, the tentpole pitches, the blockbusters still deliver. Um, you get the sense that it's it's harder and more expensive to get those the numbers that are required. But in the studio world over the last few years, the sort of mid-range budget movies challenged by you know Netflix originals and uh, and, and streaming platforms, those revenues have been decreasing. And now some of the platforms obviously have their own new the new COVID-inspired methods of releasing that can go straight to digital and you know the trolls was obviously the the big example i think the the stat from that was that universal earned in three weeks um more than what five months of theatrical gave them on the first of the trolls movies no way is that the comparison Lex, that's true yeah and the major circuits are aware that that that, that is a big shift and um, in the in the ecosystem and consequently hopefully sense will prevail and some of the and the windows will will shorten um and it's a, there's a whole sort of other conversation around that for instance over the last couple of years we've seen the streamers start to recognize theatrical as an important part of their business which is a positive for the future of cinemas particularly in the independents who've been Without playing those movies and last autumn for instance when those those netflix and some Amazon films were incredibly important to independent distributors who who didn't have a hang up about Windows, because though because the schedule was so thin otherwise, and that's also an interesting part of this conversation because the streamers are obviously interested in shortened windows because their business is mainly mm. online. And I think it's also important to note as well that I think I think in Britain, while we're obviously beholden to a lot of what American studios might want or not want. We're a little more fluid as a country than, say, France or Germany might be. Certainly talking to people who work in those countries, they were the ones citing Curzon back to me as an example for them. They're going... Because for them, they see they see those middle, those mid-range to low-budget range of cinema that used to exist that doesn't has been lost to streamers in their mind. So for them... It's a challenge to get those films back into their into back into their ecosystem. So from the streamers, almost like and that and that will eventually, I presume, like you're describing, would be more of a collaborative approach than we'll have it. Oh no, you have it like a tug of war. It'll be more like let's us let's us work together to make this a successful product. You know those those thrillers from Spain or that that heist movie from Germany or whatever that wouldn't necessarily get them in across cine worlds across the world, but. Would certainly have an audience. Yeah, and actually, and that's, I mean, obviously, that's our point of difference in terms of our programming. In that, obviously, we're looking for you know award-winning, critically acclaimed um, film, and the films that work best for us aren't necessarily the films that are going to work for your local Ogin or or Cineworld. Yeah, the streamers' role is an interesting one. I mean, they have supported independent distribu- distributors with license fees, and um, I think now they are more concentrated on the original side of their business. I mean, they're able to produce um, those films themselves. They're investing very heavily in local production in the UK. You know, huge amount, mm. uh, millions, tens of millions. Without of a doubt, and uh, and I think they do have a role to play in the future of cinema. And uh, at the moment, I think you know, the awards are important to them. They want to have uh, awards access. They want to uh, give their the filmmakers the opportunity to play in cinemas. But we have seen with films like Roma and The Irishman that there is a genuine appetite among cinema audiences to see those kind of films on the big screen. 
And that could be an interesting and important revenue stream for cinemas going forward. Brilliant. Well, look, before you go, um, you've obviously you've, you've told us about the launch of the, the, the sort of new all-encompassing platform, but do you want to tell us about any releases that you can that you can tell us about you know, going March into April that you're looking forward to at Curzon? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that probably the, the, the two... Um, well, at the moment, we have Quo, Quo Vardis at AIDA and Dear Comrades, which are both uh, long-listed for the BAFTA and the Oscar International Awards. So I'd definitely say check the, both of those out on the platform. For me, my, the two, my two favourite films that we have coming up are Apples and uh, Gagarin. And um, Apple, Apples is a, is a new sort of Greek weird way wave film, and which I would absolutely recommend. It's about a guy who actually it's pandemic related completely coincidentally, but it's a, about, it's set in a, uh, it's set in an Athens where um, there's an outbreak of amnesia. And it's about this guy who just gets up one day, forgets who he is or where he is, and is put on the pro- on a program by the government to rehabilitate himself into life. So they give him an apartment, they give him a Polaroid camera, and they give him tasks to form every day, like to ride a bike or to kiss a woman. And uh, it's really uh, it's a really be- uh, beautiful film. It's from a, a filmmaker called Christos uh, uh, Nikau, and I would definitely recommend that. And Gagarin is a French drama a debut set at a council estate which is under threat and it sort of starts off as a sort of social drama but then develops this sort of sci-fi theme throughout and ends rather spectacularly um with a young boy sort of like taking over the council estate before it's demolished and converting it into a sort of 2001 um space odyssey space sign me up sign me up damien that sounds amazing it just gives me then to say Thank you very much for giving us your time, your opinion, and sharing your experience of distribution and um, cinema release of films. That was very, very informative for me, so I'm going to presume my listener will feel the same. Oh, thank you very much. Enjoyed myself. Thank you. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.